Hey everyone, welcome back to this week's episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm Greg, you're the listeners, you're the fans, I'm a fan, I like doing it. How's everyone doing today? I'm doing great. It's actually my first day off again in a long time. It's been it's been a weird, you know, the holidays are over and we're starting to get back to normal. But I've had these weird long weekends I've had to work with um, both Dave and Dom needing some time off, some weekends off here and there. So I've been pulling these weird like Thursday through Monday, Thursday through Tuesday shifts. And I know at first you're going to say, well, you mean like a normal person works five days a week? Uh, well, we normally work four ten. So when I work five or six days in a row, I'm usually working 10 to 12 hour days. So it is a longer week for me. And I'm not like, again, I'm not saying woe is me. I just don't want you being like, oh, Greg's complaining about having to work a normal person week. I don't, I don't do that. I work a normal person week in three days though, not, <laughs> not in four or five, like a lot of people. Um, but with that being said, over the weekend, I did a, I did a event at the Brown County Public Library in Green Bay. So the event is called Level Up. They do it every year. It's a video game themed event at the library. It's a family event. It's really awesome. This is the third year we've done it. The first year I sent Michaela uh, because I wasn't able to go. And then the la- uh, the next year, or last year, I ran it. And then this year, I ran it again. And I love it. I love it. It was one of my favorite things because a lot of families come out together. You get to talk to people about games, watch their kids play some games, and then, you know, talk to their parents. And it's like a really, really cool event. Well, this year was was a little rougher than last year. And last year, I had a really great experience. This year, not as great. I still want to do it. I still love it. But it it was there was some weird stuff going on. So I'm going to share with you the weird stories. So the, like I said, the level up event is great. I, I set up the, the gameplay room. So I bring like 12 retro consoles in, bunch of controllers games. And I have like a, a whole room that's just you can come in, play video games. I'll chat with you about video games. We, we chit chat back and forth. We do, you know, with the parents and I hand out business cards and, you know, we talk video games and that's it. Then there's a whole bunch of other events at the library, too. Like someone made an actual like physical Tetris game where someone slides blocks down the top and you have to put them in order before you get too gummed up. It's really, really neat and really fun. There's like a Pac-Man scavenger hunt it's really cool it's a really great family event so i run the game room and last year it didn't seem like a problem i just brought some of my personal consoles from home so i brought like my my hdmi modded n64 so i can hook it up to the projector four controllers my everdrive with like my games loaded on it because it's just easier to swap games and to take like 20 different games with you and i take all that stuff and and this year was different because there was a a pretty decent snowstorm that was friday night into saturday morning And so normally, like last year, I want to say we had about 300 to 400 people there. This year, we only had about 100 to 150. So it was a lot less. However, the people that did show up seemed to stay the whole time. And an event like this isn't really meant, it's not really meant to stay there the whole time. You know, like I don't have so many different games that you'd sit there playing games for five hours. You know, it's, it's, and then I had people come to me like, what other games do you have? Can I play something else? I'm like, well, you're not really supposed to be here long enough where you'd want to play a game, get so bored with it that you'd play something else. Like that's just not the spirit of it. You know, it's like a, it's an event you go to, you hit all the different events over a couple hours and then you go home. You don't just sit down. And so this year, I think with the storm, what a lot of parents did was they dropped their kids off and then they went and did something else, which I didn't feel was the case last year. And so this year I had a lot of kids that were there from 10 in the morning till three o'clock. Like they were there the whole day, just 
playing video games. And, and again, I don't really care. I'm going to be there either way. And it's not like there's fights breaking out. I've got Mario Kart on a big screen with four controllers. I've got Power Stone and, and Marvel vs. Capcom 2 set up on the Dreamcast. I've got Duck Hunt set up, Mario 3 set up, Sonic 2, Spyro and Crash on PS1, um, Paperboy on Super Nintendo. Like, like I have I have good setups. Mario uh, or Smash Brothers on the GameCube. I have everything set up. And so it's fine. But th- this year, there was just seemed to be a few, like, unruly kind of obnoxious people and so at this event they always serve like they have little bags of popcorn and and they have like easy candies or whatever like tan like single-use candies warheads stuff like that you know and so this year there was one kid in particular who was just for lack of a better term a complete and utter slob and it made me so sad because i had to be the parent in the situation and if you've heard me say this before uh, that's not something I want to do in my life. So I'm not really a fan when I get thrust into that role, especially when it's not your own kids. You know what I mean? And and by that I mean, I, I'm gonna tell the whole story. But you know, by that I mean I had to tell the kid, you know, that you know to pick up his messes and to not just kick a bag of popcorn on the floor and leave it, and not to eat the popcorn off the floor after kicking over the bag. You know, like these are things I had to tell him <laughs> that like I shouldn't have had to tell him. You know, like where was your parent? But this was kind of the first thing that happened, and I laughed at first, and then it didn't become funny. So so I was watching him play some games, and after he's there for like 20 minutes, I'm walking by, and I hear just like one of the funniest like farts I've heard like ever. Like this kid dropped one, and it was it was hilarious. Like it, it was it was a little juicy, you know, but it was it was it was hilarious. I come back like 20 minutes later as I'm making my rounds, the different talking to different people, doing whatever. And it smells really bad over there, like still after all that time. So I'm pretty convinced that this kid actually crapped his pants. <laughs> so, hey, we've all been there, you know, like we've all had a we've all had a, 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 a fart go rogue, you know. But this kid did that early on and then essentially sat and stewed in it for five hours <laughs> at this event. And so not only was he torturing himself. He was torturing everyone else because it smelled like dookie for a large portion of that room down there. And even to the point where I got some Febreze out at one point and I was spraying it. It was so gross. Now this same kid, later he's playing Mario Kart and I look over and I see that like the controller he's using, which is my smoke gray N64 controller. You know, all my controllers have really tight sticks. You know, I don't mess around. Like I've got really good condition controllers, really tight sticks. And I see just a like red stains on the analog stick you know i'm like what the hell is this like what the hell is this on this controller and then you know so i so when he's done playing he like puts it down thankfully and i unplug it and i take it into the bathroom i have to wash it with soapy water because it was it was uh candy like he'd been eating candy and taking the pieces of candy out of his mouth with his fingers and then touching the controllers and touching his face and everything i'm like oh my god kid like you're so gross and then you made my controller gross so i had these like disinfectant wipes i had to keep wiping everything down like every five minutes i'm like this sucks like normally this is an event where i go around i schmooze with his parents we talk some games i play some games and this time i was chasing around a disgusting little kid wiping his fingers and wiping his everything that he touched with disinfectant it was gross my goodness it was gross so <laughs> so anyway <laughs> I'm doing all that. Later, I come up to him when he's playing. 
because I'm keeping an eye on him the whole time now because I'm watching him put his fingers in his mouth and like then touch the controller and wipe his face and he's eating candy. He takes a piece of candy out of his mouth and puts it back in his mouth. Like it's so gross. Everything about this is so gross. And then the kid, I look over at him and it, I swear to God, he looks like he's bleeding out of his ear. I'm like, this is getting worse. Now the kid's bleeding out of his ear. What is happening? Like where, where's an adult? I am not equipped to handle the situation. I'm just a video game merchant. I'm not here for this sort of thing. And so, so I, I tell him like, Hey man, uh, you might want to go to the bathroom. And this kid was 10 or 12 years old. So he wasn't like a five year old, you know? And so I was like, Hey, Hey man, you might want to go into the restroom and check. I think there's something wrong with your ear. You might be bleeding. And he's like, huh? And so he walks off to the bathroom. And I mean, like freak the kid out, but I'm like, you might want to check this out. So he goes and then he comes back from the bathroom. He's like, no, it's fine. It's just, and he basically shows me his hands are all red because he's been eating fireball candies. Those like spicy cinnamon candies. And he kept taking it out of his mouth and then he was picking his ear and it looked like he was bleeding out of his ear because he had like red candy juice, the same red candy juice, by the way, that was on the controller. I probably could have figured that out, but it literally looked like he was bleeding out of his ear. It was so gross so gross kids are so vile and if you have kids and you love kids that's totally fine and i'm just saying they're just unbelievably gross and as a parent i would assume you would agree and i hope you'll also agree that when it's your own kids it's probably not so bad you got to wipe your own kid's ass it's fine because you're a kid you know i gotta wipe fireball juice off my n64 controllers and and freak out that a kid's bleeding from the ear when it's just fireball juice for somebody else's kid <laughs> not even my kid this this kid was a wreck smelled like dookie and was bleeding from the ear with fireball juice <laughs> this was my day so i brought a big red bull along so that i could have that in case i needed it and i was chugging that thing at like noon like i can't handle this the stress is too much I need to like I need to like back it up a little bit I need to have some caffeine i need to like chill out a little bit and for the most part, everybody else was really great. You know, people were coming up saying, oh, what game is this? What game is this? Oh, this is cool. And then I watched these two. I mean, they were moms, so they were probably in their 30s. And they were like playing Mario Brothers 1, trying to get through like they were playing two player, taking turns. And they were getting it was it was awesome to watch. It was hilarious. And so that's what I love about this event. And it's great. And the people who run it, Leah and everyone else at the library, they're awesome. And this event is awesome. And I want to keep doing it. It's just this this one was weird because of the weather and then that kid like I hate to say it but I almost hope he doesn't come next year because it just it just really put a damper on my enjoyment of interacting with people because I felt like I was babysitting not like hosting a cool game themed event and, and so that was the story that was the level of event so if you're in the Green Bay area next year please come down and say hi so that maybe I could have some sense of normalcy because the other thing too is my buddy Jack it was his girlfriend's birthday so he couldn't come down and help me out, which he did last year. And that made a lot easier too. Like I was, the, the library had people to help, but I was pretty much by myself, you know? And so it, it was, it was, um, how do I say this? You know, a lot of people don't, don't think this is true, but I have, I, I do suffer from a very high level of social anxiety, which I know a lot of us do. You're like, Oh, I'm at a party. I'm uncomfortable. Well, that's, that's a little bit different. You know, like I, I, I physically wear down and mentally wear down the more I interact with people that are out of my inner circle comfort zone. Now it's weird because when I'm at the store, it's different. Like when it's work, my brain 
splits it, right? You know, when I'm at the store, my brain just says, hey, you can interact with all these people you don't personally know because it's your job. And that seems to be okay. But then when I'm in a setting like this or later at night, it was Dave's birthday, we went out for that. You do all those things later and then you're like, man, like it just, it drains you and you don't realize you're drained until you're drained. You know, you don't realize it's happening until all of a sudden you just hit this wall where you're like, I can't, I don't want to talk to another person. I want to just shut up. I don't want to talk and I don't want to hear anyone else talk, <laughs> you know? And then it's crazy because you're out for your friend's birthdays and you're having a good time and it's just your brain. It's just the anxiety part of it. And so I suffered a little heavily from that because I just, you know, it was just me and I had to deal with everything, you know, and then I had to pack everything up and that actually was fine. Like at three o'clock when it was time to shut everything down and I was packing up, like, oh, I feel like this is my natural habitat, like wrapping up controllers, cleaning stuff, like, like as weird as that sounds like that was me in my, my natural state. Um, but it is a fun event and I don't, I don't want anyone to think that I don't love it. And that was a big part of me having my own business was I wanted to be a part of the community. I don't really gain anything from this. I mean, I take a, like a half a day out of my day. I go over there, I pack up all this stuff that I probably could have been selling. Like I took my power stone Two and Mario world stuff that we would have sold. And I take it there to, to demo it essentially, and then bring it back. So like, I don't think it really gains me anything, but I like to do it as part of an event. Like I want to be part of the community. I want people to say when I was a kid, game trade was doing all these cool events and I got to play all these cool games and the owner was really cool. And then that hopefully like to me adds to a reputation that builds over time. That's really important to me. And that's just my philosophy. It always has been, I don't do it for like, even for advertising or money, you know, like, yeah, we handled some business cards, but really with the snow, I think I handed out maybe five total business cards because it was just weren't that many people. There were more kids just playing games and they don't, they don't care about the business card. Uh, but I want to be a part of the community and I, and I will continue to do so. And, and that is a big important thing to me. But hopefully next year goes a little smoother. I will definitely take someone with me next year. I will do that again. Uh, I will make sure somebody comes with me and it will be, it will be better. You know, like I'll make sure that, that I have uh, different setups on different things. So it, it, but, but you learn a little bit something every year and, and next year I'll make it go a little more smooth. So with that being said, I have my game of the week picked out. We're continuing with our PS1, our PS1 bangers uh, continues, uh, in, in 2020, it'll probably be all of 2020, just, just killing some PS1 bangers. And then we're going to go into PS2 probably after that, because why not? And I've got lots of those. So I have games. I have, I get more games every week than I do a podcast. So I'll never run out of games to talk to you about. So you're welcome. You're very welcome. I have a very small pickup pile of the week, mostly because three of them came from one place. Uh, and then one's something I've technically already had before, but it's something I picked up uh, and there's a little bit of a story to go with that. And then picked up a new game that came out. So got my game of the week picked out, got my pickup pile of the week picked out. And I've got three different stories today. First, we're going to be talking about uh, Joe Biden, uh, the, uh, you know, he's running for president on the Democratic ticket. Uh, he uh, said that Silicon Valley people were little creeps that make games that train people how to kill. Then we're going to talk about Cyberpunk 2077 being delayed and the 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 story surrounding it with how that's going to lead to more crunch that was a kotaku article uh and then lastly we're going to talk a little bit about gamestop's financials um because and they released this on tuesday like afternoon right as i was done with the podcast and i thought you know what on wednesday i gotta do a video about this and i just didn't get to it unfortunately i just didn't have the time to do an individual video but i'll cover it on the podcast to get the video out all the same so i have to make sure that i have all the right numbers because that uh that was a really boring looking sheet let's see what we got here um 
しょパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパパ Uh, freezing raises.、Um, and it's kind of a it's kind of a yes no sort of situation. And, and so I'll kind of go over that.、Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that as,、uh, as we talk about GameStop's whole deal. So, with that being said, here we go. We're going to kick it off, starting to talk about,、uh, well, apparently creeps. <laughs> so, first up on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about. Joe Biden, and this headline from VG247 that says, Joe Biden calls Silicon Valley game developers little creeps who make games that teach you how to kill. So that's the headline. And I have to say, <laughs>、um, even I read it, because there's even this guy, look at this, this Twitter know nothing, Game Trade Greg. He says, How out of touch, because he shares the article. Well, Game Trade Greg, that's me in case you're curious, <laughs> didn't read the article. And unfortunately, that's a bad thing that we often do a lot in, in this is that、uh, you, you read a headline, you go, oh my God, this, did he really say that? I can't believe he said that. But do you often read the article? A lot of times you don't. And I'm guilty of that in this case. So, first of all, that was my mistake. So, I decided to dig a little bit deeper in the story and really find out what was going on. So, basically, it wasn't that Joe Biden says all Silicon game developers are little creeps who make games to teach you how to kill, but he referred to. A Silicon Valley game developer as a little creep <laughs> who makes games that teach you how to kill. So,、uh, in the interview with the New York Times, the presidential hopeful called game developers he met with during his time at the White House, quote unquote, creeps, quote unquote, righteous, and quote unquote, arrogant, referring to his personal experiences with high ranking executives in Silicon Valley. This is the full quote. Quote, and, if, and you may recall the criticism I got for meeting with the leaders in Silicon Valley when I was trying to work out an agreement dealing with them protecting intellectual property for artists in the United States of America. And at one point, one of the little creeps sitting around the table, who was a multi close to a billionaire, who told me he was an artist because he was able to come up with games to teach you how to kill people. You know, the. And then blank, I don't know what's blank, what he's trying to say.、Uh, quote unquote, like video games. Offers the New York Times interviewer. Biden has previously called for certain legal restrictions to be imposed on violent video games, suggesting in 2013 that there is no legal objective to imposing a tax on violent media. He has also stated that while no definitive proof exists linking violent video games and media with acts of real violence, the public shouldn't be afraid of facts which may come from research on the matter. Biden continues, quote, Yeah, video games. And I was lectured by one of the senior leaders there that saying if I insisted on what Lee Hay. Leheed put together, that's the senator, and we were, I thought we were going to fully support that they would blow up the network. Figuratively speaking, have everybody contact. They get out and go out and contact the switchboard, just blow it up. So, this is really confusing. What he's trying to say is that they had put some legislation together, one of these senators have been saying, and, and he was talking to the, the, the Silicon Valley tech people at this table, and they had said if they were going to fully support this, they would quote unquote go out,、uh, they would quote unquote, figuratively speaking, quote unquote, blow up the network. 
which he's talking about go out and contact the switchboard <laughs> just it's like it's so out of touch you know so out of touch so my tweet stands as being out of touch but why i said it you know it was a little bit of a jump to a conclusion i'm not 100 percent wrong on this though that's how i get by by doing things um so he goes on to say yeah video games uh and then one of these righteous people said to me, you know, we are the economic engine of America. We are the ones. And fortunately, I had done a little homework before I went. And I said, you know, I find it fascinating. As I added up the seven outfits, everyone's there but Microsoft. I said, you have fewer people on your payroll than all of the losses that General Motors just faced in the last quarter of employees. So don't lecture me about how you've created all this employment. The point is there's an arrogance about it, an overwhelming arrogance that we are, we are the ones, we can do what we want to do, and I disagree, end quote. So again, that's a lot to unpack, but basically he's saying that this person he talked to was claiming that Silicon Valley is huge, the, the driving engine of America, which Biden argues that GM lost more people than jobs they created or had total jobs with the seven companies. I don't have those numbers, but I'm going to say probably somewhere accurate. I mean, it's probably close. Um, but it's weird because you read all this and he's trying to say that one, basically one person bragged to him that he was an artist because he was able to come up with games to teach you how to kill people. Now I doubt any game developer would brag and say anything even close to that, where they would say, I'm an artist because I make games that teach people how to kill. In fact, I think that's very, that's very much a Joe Biden quote. I'm sure he said something like, I'm an artist, you know, we make these realistic war simulators. And then Joe Biden would go on, yeah, yeah, you make games that teach people how to kill. Like, I could see that being like a difference, you know, I could, that makes sense to me. What doesn't make sense to me is... The idea that an actual developer would go up and brag about making games that train people how to kill. I just don't see anybody ever doing that. So this was the initial thing. So now that you've read the article, at least it makes a little more sense that he was calling one person he met a creep because of this interaction he had. He's not saying all game developers are creeps. Okay, so let's, we have to move past that. We have to move past the kind of, you know, clickbait garbage headline and actually dig into it a little bit. However, I do want to thank Kotaku for this because... Kotaku went on to uh, to go a little further, saying unsolved mystery. Which gaming industry exec executive did Joe Biden just call a little creep? <laughs> so they did their homework, so I don't have to. So the New York Times published an article with Vice President Joe Biden. That's what we just talked about. Here's the full quote. I already read that. So then Kotaku goes on to say, okay, but who's the creep? Biden doesn't say, and Wurzel said later on Twitter that he didn't get a chance to ask a follow-up question. At the risk of spoiling the ending, we can't figure out who it is, but here's who it could be. And so they go on to say that it, it actually ends up being that maybe there's a mix-up that Joe Biden's having, which is totally possible because he's old and seems pretty senile sometimes. And it's possible that there were two different meetings that he was confusing to decide who was there. However, uh, they talk about how the meeting is notable, uh, this meeting they found, which was uh, the Protect IP Act in 2011. It says, the meeting is notable not only because it lines up perfectly with the height of the SOPA debate, that was the freedom of the internet debate that was going around, but also because Biden specifically refers to a meeting in which all the big tech players were present except for Microsoft, so that's consistent with the earlier story. According to the Palo Alto Weekly, Apple, Netflix, Facebook, and Google were all there, along with Electronic Arts, Zynga, DreamWorks, and Symantec, 
but no Microsoft. So it was the meeting in question then Biden might have been talking about either Zynga founder Mark Pincus or EA's then CEO John Riccatello both of whom were in attendance. Of the two, Riccatello, as a head of a company that made AAA violent video games and not Farmville, would be the likely target of Biden's ire. So that's a really interesting conversation. So they're saying it could have been the only two video game companies that were there out of the Silicon Valley 7 that didn't include Microsoft was an EA CEO and a Zynga founder. So between those two, which one do you think is going to feel more like trying to defend their position on violent video games i mean to me it's a no-brainer as ea um i don't know much about john riccatello so i it is possible that he is like this i, I don't know unfortunately i don't really follow him on twitter or anything so i don't i don't get a vibe from him um but then again, here, the article goes on to finish. Then again, should we be taking Biden's outburst at face value? Maybe he's conflating two meetings. A year later, Biden sat down with a room full of video game executives to discuss gun violence following the Sandy Hook Elementary School shooting. This seems like a more appropriate venue for a heated conversation about the artistic merit of violent video games versus the 2012 dinner meeting, which was ostensibly about copyright protections. Adding to the Biden conflating two meetings theory of the case is the fact that both Gallagher and Riccatello were also at that meeting, seated to Biden's left and right. So they were right next to him at this other meeting. But so were representatives from Epic Games, known for some violent games, Bethesda parent company ZeniMax, and the Entertainment Software Ratings Board but there's nothing specific to uh, suggest that it might have been any of them. Joe Biden's campaign did not immediately respond to a request for comment color me surprised so that's the end of the kotaku article that basically went out of their way to find out who it possibly could have been it makes a lot of sense to me and again we don't know and maybe one day they'll they'll say who it was i doubt it but to me it sounds like it would have been the ceo at the time of electronic arts like that just makes sense to me and and again it it, it does show something out of touch though and, and a lot of older people don't understand the industry and, and if you haven't heard any of my videos before you know that i am i don't believe that violent video games cause violence they have been proven many times over in studies that it does not cause violence it does lead to a quote-unquote increase of aggression but I always say arguably so does anything that's competitive, whether it's football, basketball, anything you do that's competitive leads to increased aggression. That's part of what you would call a winning culture or like a like a, a, a winner attitude, you know. So but I also concede that when I was growing up playing, you know, Super Mario Brothers and then the most violent game I ever played was Mario Kart or excuse me, <laughs> Mortal Kombat Mario Kart, Mar Mortal Kombat 1 for the Sega Genesis putting in the blood code every time because you wanted to see the blood that is different than v vr shooters or than like the new modern warfare that goes for 100 percent realism so it, there is a difference and i'm willing to listen to any study that wants to take up the challenge and just to make sure because it's better safe than sorry i think when it comes to something like this but none of the evidence goes there and so i think that's just something that we have to move on from but i'm willing to listen to it i'm not closed-minded to the thought but I don't think this pushes the argument forward. And I don't think, you know, on a, as a political spin, I don't think he can afford to lose the young, energetic vote. I don't think anybody who wants to see a Democratic candidate win can discount an energetic base. And so I think this is really out of touch for a candidate that really is, of, is, is known as the party for younger people that you would think might be a little more, like, attached to reality when it comes to things that younger people love, maybe. I don't know.
All right, so next up on the podcast today, I want to move into this story about Cyberpunk 2077. Now, it was announced a week ago that they were delaying Cyberpunk 2077 from April to September. And my first thought initially was, oh, thank God, <laughs> because it was Resident Evil 3, Final Fantasy 7 Remake, Cyberpunk, all within three weeks of each other. Those three games dropping in three weeks in April, which just for me personally, April is my busiest month of the year with different work-related and non-work-related things. So I was like, oh, thank God, because I, I just didn't have time for those three games in one month. And it would take me a long time to get through them. So I see that and I go, cool. Then there's the other side of me, though, for years, which has felt the exact same way about this. Delays are always good. I look at I say delays are always good because you're looking at a game saying it's not ready, especially in this age of, hey, we can patch it and fix it later. The game is not ready. It's always good to delay it so that the experience we have on day one is better than it would have been. And we can wait six months. That doesn't bother me. Waiting five months who cares? Like to me, that's not a big deal. You take a game that was supposed to come out in like January and you push it back t- two years or something, or you say, well, like, or, or like with Metroid Prime four, for instance, like we have to totally scrap the game. It was, it was going to come out maybe in like a year. Now it could be two or three years. We don't know. You know, that's a little bit different, but again, would you rather they did that than get a garbage product? I would, I would, I would take that any day of the week. And now in, in the, in the world we live in, we're so lucky to have amazing video games coming out almost every day that you never run out of stuff to play. I mean, if you go on sites like itch.io and then, you know, steam and you're on PC and then you're on PlayStation and Xbox, like you have so many things to play. You should never be concerned about a game being delayed. I'm disappointed. I wanted to play that game. If all of a sudden they said, psych, it's coming out today. I would literally stop recording this podcast right now and go buy it. Maybe not, but I would, after the podcast was over, I would go buy it. And so, you know, it, it is a disappointment and I totally understand that. And for the longest time, when they would delay a game and the and the fans would argue and, and get frustrated, then we was always told, well, no, delays are good. Delays are good. Delays help. Delays are good. So, okay, so they delay the game. They say, you know, we got about five more months left. We have to delay uh, or we want to delay it because we think we can make a much better product. So they have a Q&A session. Cyberpunk 2077 uh, makers CD Projekt Red addressed the matter in an investor Q&A series held right after the announcement. In it, the executive Adam Kaczynski explained why the delay was happening, why it had been decided upon now, and when the rest of the studio had been told just minutes before. We also heard this delay would have a knock-on effect for the studio's other big cyberpunk project in production, the multiplayer thing. So here we go. Quote, why now? Why three months before release? Kaczynski said of the delay. Well, we have been waiting, and there have always come the moment to decision. Now, again, this is translated from Polish, so bear with me. We are constantly evaluating the game, and we decided if we delay to this right moment that the decision to add five months, we would really be sure that we can deliver what we had planned. So they're just saying, you know, five more months gives us the vision we really, we really thought we could get. Of course, it was a tough decision, but we and our team, which was informed minutes ago, think that this was a good decision and have the extra five months will enable us to deliver a perfect game. So then he was asked, and about crunch, Kaczynski was asked, did the delay mean five months, five months of extra overtime? To which Kaczynski replies, to some degree, yes, to be honest. We try to limit crunch as much as possible, but it is in the final stage. We try to be reasonable in this regard, but yes, unfortunately. Then the article goes on to say, of all, uh, all of which begs the question, when was the delay decided? Especially, it seems, until yesterday, staff were under the impression they were shipping the game in a matter of weeks. 
There are things that are on schedule and things that are behind schedule, Kaczynski said. Once you have the whole game and you see all the dependencies and you play it, you get the feel of the game and you start to have an idea what needs to be tweaked and polished. Of course, there are bugs, various bugs, new and old, but playing such a big game, you start to think that maybe you need to tweak this or that. So there was not a specific moment. It's an ongoing process. We knew that this was the last moment for a delay. We weren't able to discuss further, so we decided now because that was the last reasonable window to decide about the delay. Because you're right, if you get up to the point where you're like a week out and you're like expected to start like people would have known a month out anyway because they would know like well the game hasn't gone gold gold is when the game is ready to go off and get printed and stamped onto discs so if it doesn't go gold and it's like a month out people are like what's going on and so this this got them ahead of the ball all fine here like there's nothing wrong with any of this this all sounds good right obviously talking about the crunch is is it is there going to be crunch and overtime in the next five months well he'd be lying if he said no it's in the final development of a five or six year project. I mean, that's just going to happen. So then however, and this isn't like, I'll, I'll get into more of it later. So, but this is the article that Kotaku puts out. And normally I actually like most of what Jason Schreier does. I think he does some really good investigative work. He has done good work on, um, like some of the sexual harassment at certain studios. He gets interviews with people. Uh, you know, he'll find a company where they talk about the bad work hours, like at Rockstar and EA, and he'll go through the whole thing. He'll interview 20 to 30 people. He'll collect all this information, and then he makes an article about it. I'm okay with that, you know? This article, though, this is the headline, Video Game Delays Cause More Crunch. So right off the bat, the headline is, this is fact, this is fact. This video games delay more crunch. Is this fact? Because if you remember a year ago, Nintendo delayed Animal Crossing to avoid crunch. Okay, so there are different philosophies by different companies on how to handle this. Now, I have something to say if this is even necessarily true by Nintendo. Did they did they really delay it just to avoid crunch or did they delay it because it wasn't ready and there are still people crunching? You want to talk about Japanese gaming industry when you talk about crunch and overwork time? I mean, they're celebrating in Japan because their number of workplace deaths and suicides have gone down because they have so much stress and, and their work ethic is so it's so heavy and it's so ingrained into society. So Nintendo gets praised by everybody for delaying their game. Because they said the reason they delayed it was because of crunch. CD Projekt Red delays their game because they say it's not ready yet. And all of a sudden the articles come out saying that their delay is going to cause more crunch. I... Okay. Okay. We're a little off here. Okay. So the article goes on to say, and this, this is what really bothers me about this article, but there's no facts anywhere in this. There's no... Oh, we interviewed 20 employees from CD Projekt Red. They all said the crunch has been unbearable and that they're going to be crunching for the next five months. There's nothing like that in this article. This is I will just spoil it for you right now. There's nothing like that. It goes on to say that how, oh, you know, these days most video games are sympathetic to delays. They recognize that more time makes for better games and that game development is too complicated for anyone to accurately predict release dates very far in advance. Yes. Next line, crunch... The, the term for extended periods of overtime that can last for weeks or months on end is an epidemic in the video game industry. Is it an epidemic in the game industry or is it just, is it a static problem that exists in anything that has a deadline? 
you know what I mean? Like if you think there's not a crunch period right before the New York Times or the Washington Post has a huge political article coming out, if you don't think that there's a crunch time getting that out, now does that crunch time last maybe a day or a week as opposed to weeks and months? Possibly. This game was being worked on for six years. That article might have been being written for six months. So if you look at percentages, I have a feeling that those percentages would equal up the amount of crunch time per total project time in almost anything you do. So anyway, it goes on. Imagine then, and, and this is again, this is this is from the Kotaku article. Imagine then having a single release date in mind, knowing that you'll just have to work nights and weekends until then, only for that date to slip back five more months. Maybe at that point, the emails start getting even more contrite. Hey, everyone, thanks so much for all of your hard work. The good news, we just got some more time, which by means, which means we'll be able to get in all those kick-ass features we wanted. The bad news is that we're just going to have to keep pushing a little bit harder, end quote. That, that isn't a quote from anyone. They didn't say someone at CD Projekt Red told us they got this email. This is them, this is them saying, look at this possible scenario. And they're saying, they start by saying, here's an email you get. Hey, everyone, thanks so much for all your hard work. We're just going to push a little harder to get this game out. And then they're saying, okay, now imagine that it gets delayed five months and the email comes out again and says, now you have to push hard for five more months. That didn't happen. This article really bothers me. Like this did not happen. They're making this scenario up in their head. Like, imagine this. Imagine if this is how it happened. Do you know that that's how it happened? This This isn't like me talking on here where I say, imagine this. This is a a news article written by someone who calls himself a video game journalist who I have had respect for his other articles in the past due to his uh, journalistic integrity when it comes to uh, witnesses and sources and such. But this is just all, I don't even, I don't even want to say it's anecdotal because it's not even based on anything. Like this is someone who's like maybe talked to someone in the industry one time that said that and then is now applying that to a company that they don't have any contact with. So the article goes on to say, yesterday, Cyberpunk 2077 developer CD Projekt Red announced that it was delaying the much-anticipated role-playing game from April 16th to September 17th. Then it goes on to say, he took a question about overtime in the wake of this delay, and that's what I read you earlier when it said, is there going to be crunch? And he said, to some degree, yes, to be honest, we try to limit crunch as much as possible, but it is the final stage. We try to be reasonable in this regard, but yes, unfortunately. And then it says this shouldn't, and then the article goes on to say, excuse me, this shouldn't come as a shock to anyone. Even after the studio's promises to Kotaku last year that it would do its best to mitigate overtime, ambitious video games like Cyberpunk 2077 with a massive open world and hundreds of branching storylines don't get made without extra hours. At least CD Projekt Red pays for overtime, thanks to Polish labor laws, which distinguishes it from most of the North American counterparts. If you're on an annual salary instead of getting paid hourly, all you can hope for is some extra time off after the game ships, and maybe if you're lucky enough to work on Fortnite, a generous bonus. Now again, so they're saying here, so they're actually, after you get, this is halfway down the article now, they're saying, but hey, at least people who work at City Project Red get paid overtime. So that's kind of an issue I have, and I'm not saying you should work yourself to the bone and not enjoy life or anything, but it's not like they're getting locked up in their office. They're served three pieces of bread a day and given a bottle of water, and they need to finish this game in five months where it's like literal torture and hell for them. That's not what this is. They're getting paid for it. They're getting compensated for it. And then, by the way, on your resume, you now get to say, I shipped Cyberpunk 2077. Oh, like that doesn't get you your job anywhere in the industry? Now, as I go into this, I know there's a lot of people listening who might disagree with me on this, and that's fine. And I've, I, here's the term I'm going to hear the most from people on Twitter when I share this. Bootlicker. Like I'm a corporate bootlicker, okay? First of all, I own my own business, 
And so you're gonna be like, yep, see right there, you own your own business. So I own my own very small business, okay? So I am one of the most anti-corporate guys out there. But I also understand what it takes to get things done. And sometimes you have to put an extra time. I work in retail. When the holiday hours come around in December, we don't stay open any later, but I'm there at least an hour or two before work and I'm there usually an hour or two after to get stuff done. That's my crunch period is the month of December every single year is my crunch period. If you're a bartender, you got the Super Bowl coming up, you're, that's your crunch period. Fourth of July weekend is your crunch period. You're like Every occupation has a busy season. Now, I'm the first to say, continued crunch from companies like EA and Activision where they have one game in development that is behind, so they put people in crunch mode, then they roll them to the next project that's in trouble that's in crunch mode, and it's a perpetual nonstop cycle of crunch, that's awful. I'm going to be the first one to say it. And I know the other argument is, well, there's only people only make $8 an hour. You're talking about QA people, and I will tell you that QA people are easily the most uh, undervalued and over-abused uh, in the whole game industry, 100%. Because companies like CD Projekt Red, well, they might have some internal ones, but they usually hire companies to bring in external testers. Those companies feed off the fact that people just want to work in video games and think they can transition from tester to designer, which very rarely ever happens. And they feed off of that to then have you, you know, to get you to work there. And they feed off of your passion for wanting to work in video games. Same thing with a company like GameStop. GameStop pays its people not very much because they know people want to work at a video game store. So they don't have to compete with what you pay someone at Wendy's or Burger King because people don't want to work at those places, but people want to work at GameStop. So it's the position of power that you have. And so again, I'm just, I'm not saying that like perpetual crunch is good. And I had, a, I had a discussion and I, I don't know if he listens to the podcast. He usually does sometimes does sometimes doesn't, but he's a good friend of mine. His name's Jason. He works in the tech industry. And so me and him got, I wouldn't even say he got in an argument, but I, you know, I, I mentioned something cause they, you know, we were talking in a group chat about something and it got brought up that, you know, Cyberpunk got delayed and, and, uh, and I was like, you know, the worst thing about it though, is now I have to read these stupid articles like Kotaku just put out about this. And I said something like, Oh, crunch bad, derp, derp. And, and so I said that, you know, and then, you know, my buddy Jason came back and said, well, it is, it is bad actually. Excuse me, it's uh, it was my friend Ryan, not not Jason. I'm sorry, I I do this all the time. It, it, him and his brother, always, I'm I'm like so embarrassed. I just did that. So anyway, uh, we're talking about it, and and he he's not wrong, you know, like oh now I feel released too because I'm pretty sure his name is Jason. Anyway, anyway, it doesn't matter. I have to actually double check the text message because maybe I was I don't I'm not sure who I was arguing with. Anyway, I'm sorry if you're listening, dude. I'm so sorry. Just at the next land, you can just 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 punch me in the face and we'll call it even. But he brought up a good point. His argument was crunch ultimately is a failure of management to not properly map out a project. And I'm like, you know, I can see that in a lot of industries. I think that's very true. But during any project, things change, things go wrong. A project that started six years ago, you're going to like how you can't map that out fully. Now, when they set the release date last summer as April, that's a little bit different because they're saying, well, here we are in our project. We've got we can get this out in nine months and they were going to do it and they couldn't, they missed it for whatever reason. So yes, there was some mismanagement there, but again, it's, it's an ever evolving thing. You know, a lot of times like when, when you're, when you're making projects, I, I do, I do feel like video games are unique in that aspect is there's so many moving parts and so many changing things. But again, it was a good, it was a good conversation and I want, I'm going to hope to continue it when I see him at, at the next LAN.
but, um, <laughs> but I just, I, I, this automatic crunch bad thing, it, it irks me because crunch is any time now, if, if there's any time you have to put an extra time at work, they call it crunch, which is really kind of unfair in itself, right? Because crunch isn't just having to work a little bit of extra time. You know, and a lot of times people don't realize in the beginning of these projects, everyone's sitting back and relaxed. They're working on things at their at their normal pace. They go home on the weekends. They go home at night. And there's no extra. And then a couple years later, it's like, hey, we need to, you know, we're behind a little bit. We need to push. Okay, so they push for a little bit. They get caught up. Like that happens in everything. You know, that happens to me at work. I've got nothing to do in the beginning, and then a whole bunch of trades come in, and I have to stay late, even though for the first three hours I was just doing my regular day to day stuff. It happens, you know as things come along. I know it's different industries, but just bear with me on the example. So I guess that's my big thing is that almost every job has some sort of busy time. Not every time you work more than your normal hours is not considered crunch. I, I really don't like that that idea that crunch is any time you have to work extra. So like, would you criticize a company because it's a week before the deadline and the last day before you were going to go away at the weekend, they wanted you to stay an hour late. Is that crunch now? Were you crunching for an hour of a week or, you know, what's the cutoff? Like what's the official definition of crunch time? Usually it has to be at least weeks of extra added, right? I mean, you would think, and that's the thing too, about these salaried employees. They argue that the salaried employees may not get paid extra. Now, depending on how many hours they work. And again, in Poland, in Poland, they do get paid over. In fact, in the U.S., you get paid overtime too, even as salaried employees, um, unless you've got like specific positions like management positions or whatever. And so, like what what defines crunch now as opposed to just having to put some extra time in? You know, I guess that's my argument. And so I was really disappointed in this article by Jason Schreier because th this seems like it was him just writing about crunch again. He has no facts. He didn't interview anyone from the studio. He didn't talk. All he's doing is reading the translated Q&A and making all these assumptions from it. And it's really disappointing to me because he even goes on to say it's natural for human beings to work hardest when a deadline is imminent. In video game development where progress is nonlinear and the pieces might not all come together until the very end, the crunch tends to be hardest as at the last minute. Well, yeah, I mean, isn't that the whole definition of crunch is the extra work you have to put in to finish a project at the end? Like this whole thing is just, it seemed like a really lame attempt for him to score more social points with people who are just like, want to jump on any evil corporation for existing, you know, and, and I'm not a corporate guy, like, and I can't say that enough, but I also don't think that all corporations are evil and all people who are CEOs and run companies are the devil. You know, it's not, it's not like that. Like the truth is always in the middle somewhere and not all companies are the same. And I think that's really my argument here is not all companies are the same. And it's really frustrating to me when you say, look at what EA does. I'm just going to apply that same level of crappiness to CD project red because they're not the same company. You don't know what it's like to work there. And until they break a story where they say, we interviewed 20 people at CD Projekt Red, current and former employees, and here's what they said about how terrible the work environment is, I'll listen to it then. And I'll hear that and I'll read that and I'll go, okay, I believe that. But this article here, there's nothing, there's no meat here. There's no potatoes. There's like, it's it's just all, it's all sides, man. And not even the good ones. This is like the, that little crappy bowl of mixed vegetables you get at Applebee's. Like it's not even the good mashed potatoes or anything, you know? It's just the mixed veggies. All right. And so lastly on the podcast today, oops, let me, let me, oh, I'm going to restart that. Hold on. 
And lastly, on the podcast today, we're talking a little bit about GameStop, which if you don't know and you haven't seen my videos or listened to my podcast before, I worked at for a very long time. I worked there from around 2000 to 2011. So I was with the company for 11 years. I left to open up my own used video game store and I've been happy ever since. <laughs> so every now and then, though, I still like I still care about what happens with the company. Um, I think it's interesting. Well, uh, you know, I, I, I like to keep up to date. I still have friends that work there. People I respect are still managers there. And so I don't like when automatically people crap on them for no reason. I think there's plenty of reasons to criticize things, but you know, to criticize them for no reason always seems silly. Now I'm also in the minority seemingly of other people that worked there and then left, um, that I don't necessarily want to see GameStop go away. I think they're actually good for keeping physical games in circulation in my area. You know, yes, we have Walmart and Best Buy and Target, but GameStop is also a place, it literally is a game store. So people think of that and go, you know, I'm going to go to the game store to pre-order games. I can get them day one. Like it keeps the cycle going. People buy games new there, bring them to me, sell them used. I sell them used to someone else and I make some money and then I get to, and then I get to hire employees who then get to buy games and sell games. And like, it's all a big thing. It's all part of everybody kind of lifting up together. I know other people would say, yeah, but if GameStop wasn't there, wouldn't you get more sales? And it's possible. But I also agree that there's enough room for everybody. And it's not like there's a GameStop like right down the street from me. Um, so with that said, though, the reason I'm talking about GameStop today is because GameStop reported its 2019 sales results for the holiday. So this is the, what they say? It's like the... Uh, nine-week holiday period that ended on January 4th. So that's like November to November, December, basically. So it's not even a full quarter or anything. Um, but it is, uh, you know, it, it is like their busy time of the year. It's their holiday season. It's their, their crunch period, if you will. So uh, this is the article. This is actually on GameStop.com, news.gamestop.com. Um, total global sales from continuing operations for the holiday period were $1.83 billion a 27.5 decrease compared to the 2018 nine-week holiday period that ended January 5th, 2019. Total comparable store sales, so we call those comps, that basically means how you compared to last year. Total comparable store sales for the nine-week period decreased 24.7% following a 1.5% increase in comparable store sales for the similar period ended in fiscal 2018. So what they're saying is, 27 to 2018, it went up 1.5%. And then 2019 to 2020 was a decrease of 24.7%, which is not going to lie. That's huge. George Sherman, GameStop's chief executive officer, said, quote, we expected a challenging sales environment for the holiday season as our customers continued to delay purchases ahead of anticipated console launches in late 2020. However, the accelerated decline in new hardware and software sales coming out of Black Friday and throughout the month of December was well below our expectations, reflective of overall industry trends. On a positive note, we continue to see growth in the Nintendo Switch platform, which supports our view that our sales will strengthen as new consoles and innovative technology are introduced, end quote. Uh, I'm sorry, Mr. Sherman. <laughs> um, that's a really terrible take, and it is corporate speak for it's not our fault, but it, it there is something going on that isn't um, any sort of like nationwide trend in the industry. Now, they say they were down 24.7% in the holiday period. He says it's because the accelerated decline in new hardware and software sales coming out of Black Friday was worse than they thought, though. 
they're arguing that people are not buying things because they're anticipating consoles coming out in 2020. So they're, they're saying because the Xbox Series X and the PS5 are coming out this year, people aren't buying things at Christmas last year. That couldn't be further from the truth. I'm sorry, the amount of people that are aware that new consoles are coming out still aren't even waiting. I just sold an Xbox One X last week. I sell PS4 Pros all the time. And I even tell people, like, just so you know, the new systems are coming out in, you know, whatever. They don't want to wait till October, November. So, like, most of the people that would be aware enough to know new hardware is coming a year out aren't going to wait. They want the stuff they want to play right now. They'd rather buy it now and then in a year upgrade is my point. So them trying to say that sales are down because of new systems coming out is not true. In fact, Sony had an incredible sale on their PS4 hardware at 199 with the three games. Those sold out like crazy. I sold like 10 of those bundles in a, in like less than a week. And my store is small when I say that. Like obviously that's crap numbers compared to like a Walmart, but Walmart probably sold 100 or 150. I think the best buy in town here sold like 150. So I just think that's kind of an excuse, but that's what you say. Like that's you have to get, put some sort of spin on it because you have to understand why it's happening. So that's what they've decided is their reason why it's happening, even though they fully admit that their holiday coming out was worse than they thought it would be. They thought it'd be bad, and it was worse than they thought, and that's never good. What what do I always say? Overpromise, underdeliver. Don't underpromise, or, or underpromise, overdeliver. Don't overpromise and underdeliver. You will they will burn you every time. Mr. Sherman continued, given the deceleration in sales trends, particularly in December, we are adjusting our sales outlook for fiscal 2019 and expect fiscal 2019 earnings to be below guidance. While we expect the challenges that we faced in the fourth quarter to continue into 2020, we believe we have the right long-term action plans in place to optimize profitability and increase new revenue streams in advance of new console introductions for holiday 2020. We look forward to delivering progress against our strategy as we move through the year. Uh, the guidance updates. So comparable store sales are now expected to decline in the range of 19 to 21% for the company while not updating earnings per share guidance at this time now expects an adjusted net loss for the fiscal year with adjusted earnings per diluted share impacted by the further deceleration in sales in December. Despite the sales results, the company continues to manage inventory effectively and anticipates ending fiscal 2019 with inventory down approximately 26% as compared to fiscal year 2018. The company now expects capital expenditures for 2019 to be in the range of 75 million to 80 million and forecast total cash and liquidity, including availability under the revolving line of credit at the end of the fiscal year to be approximately 900 million. So that's saying there's how much money they'll have between lines of credit and cash in the bank. And they're saying that they're expecting the decline to go from around 10% to 21% for last year. They thought they were going to be down about 10%. They're going to end up being down about 20%. So that's not good. And that's not good for a company. Their stock currently, as of right now, is at $4.63, which is down 2.48% to yesterday and is sub $5 again, which is really not good. And it's really unfortunate you know, for this company, because I, again, I do, do think that if this company goes out of business and thousands of people lose their job, that's not good for anyone. And it floods the market with, with essentially like, I think I've said this in videos before, but I don't feel like the average GameStop customer or excuse me, GameStop employee is college educated. Usually we started that job right out of high school or college. We really liked it and or mostly out of high school we liked it. And then we stayed there. We got promoted through the system. And now, you know, when I left there, I was a 30 year old, I was a 30-year-old manager with only management experience and no college degree. 
Well, I technically had a college degree was from ITT Tech, so it was literally worth nothing. <laughs> but anyway, we're not here to talk about my sad, pathetic ITT life. We're here to talk about GameStop. And so then the other thing that just started coming out yesterday, some rumblings, uh, which I did confirm with a few of my friends that are still store managers, um, was that they have the, GameStop has come out and said that there will not be raises if your store does not beat is is not one is not profitable or does not beat comp sales to last year, which th- that can suck for the employees. But yeah, I understand that. You know, like I think that's part of a store being successful and giving raises is is doing well. Um, and we'll be curious to see though what more can be done. Uh, with the store closures, because they said that they, they are, they're closing 200 stores already. They're going to be closing more, um, depending on what they decide of what a profitable store is and what's worth keeping open. But um, so unfortunately, we so that that's that's bad news coming out for employees. And then just the overall results is really unfortunate for GameStop because they're they are a good company like. They, I should say they're a company that's good for the industry, not like a good company. I, I do have issues with their upper management and middle management in particular. Um, I don't like their kind of pit the stores against each other in rankings to build this like competitive culture. You know, that's fine when you're winning. But when you see times like this where it's getting really rough, it's not so much fun, especially for the people working there. And and they're cycling people in and out so much faster now. When, when I was there, they talked about people, the average tenure was like two or three years. Now it's, you know, like six months. And, 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 and so that's not good. Like the better employees you have are the ones that have been there a really long time for the most part. I mean, there are obviously lifers who do just enough not to get fired. (laughs) I knew a few of those in my day. (laughs) I still know a few of them. (laughs) Um, but with that being said, we'll have to see how, how the GameStop ball drops. It is, uh, it's not looking good for them and I don't want to see them. I don't want to see them go away. I want to see them get better. I'd love to it for, to turn into a store that I want to shop at again. I think that'd be great. And, and I, and I hope they do. All right, so that's it for stories on the podcast today. Those are some heavy ones. Woo. Um, I will tell you the uh, the the Crunch article one really was annoying to me. That's that's like my least favorite thing to talk about because there's so many people that don't understand how the industry works and then act like they're professionals just because they write stories about how the industry works. Like you think you know a little bit more about how the tech industry works in general, or like I said, just that everyone's busy. You know what I mean? Like it it, it stresses me out. Like you tell me that a guy making snowblowers in a factory doesn't have a time where they have to work extra, you know, like it just, it just, it frustrates me that like, for some reason they act like it's only video games, you know, it's not, it's, it's, it's work in general, all has busy periods and crunch periods. And now you could argue that video games being a creative industry causes people to use that passion. And then managers can abuse that passion that people have that they don't want to, because they want, they know that they're passionate about a project so they can get extra work out of them. Maybe, but if you work for a company where you feel like your boss is abusing you, here's what I tell you. Suck it up for a few years, get your name on some big games, and then bounce. I mean, that sucks, you know, but I didn't – you don't get to start at the top, unfortunately. You start at the bottom, you work your way up. I mean, some people get to start at the top. Most people don't get to start at the top. You know, most of us got to crawl our way up from the bottom and put in more effort than everybody else to be where we want to be. I had to do that. I started off at GameStop as a part-time key holder, and I worked all my way up to store manager. I was looking to get promoted to district manager. And then when they finally decided that they didn't think I was what I had, what it took to be a district manager. That's when I left. I didn't stay there crying about not being a district manager. I left. And then I made my own store where I'm the CEO, CFO, district manager, regional director, corporate marketing spieler and uh, company executive and all the shareholders on the board too. That's me. So <laughs> that's how it goes. So with that being said, our game of the week this week, 
and I am sorry if you're listening, Jason. I am sorry. I I don't know why I brain farted so hard. I had it right. I got confused. I doubled back, and I had it right the first time. So I am sorry, Jason. So uh, the game of the week. <laughs> I got to get off this because it's bugging me. Game of the week, Echo Knight for the PS1. So Echo Knight is made by the people that made Kingsfield 1 and 2 and then went on to make the amazing Demon Souls, Dark Souls, and all that. So the game company's called FromSoft, published by Age Tech, published most of the FromSoft stuff back in the day. Uh, Echo Knight takes place in 1913. There's a ship that vanished, and there were 45 souls that were lost. And it's a, it's it's one of the first, I remember, walking simulators. There's no combat in this game. You walk around. There's three different endings. You basically are learning the story of what happened here. You're, like, trying to understand um, what happened in the ship. Um, and there's a bunch of characters that you meet. It's really, really interesting if you like that sort of slower story-based walking simulator. And it's PS1, so it looks like, you know, hot garbage. But we deal with it. It's what we do. Um, but our game of the week, PS1, Echo Knight, E-C-H-O-N-I-G-H-T, Echo Knight, PS1 from Soft. Excellent game. Now, for my pickup pile of the week, I have, uh, first I picked up an NES Power Pack. And if you don't know what that is, that's basically like an EverDrive, or it's a cartridge that you can load an SD card with every ROM you want, and you can play every game off of actual hardware. So that you don't run into like it's not playing like it's not like playing an emulator. It's just like having one cartridge multi-cart loaded, but you're playing it on real hardware, so it's basically one to one. So you're fine. But I finally got one of those for NES. I never had one for NES. I had one for 64 and for Turbo and for Genesis, but I didn't have one for Nintendo. So I finally picked up one of those. It was actually in the Nintendo bar top that I sold. We had one of those Nintendo Play Choice bar tops, and uh, I sold that. Finally sold that over the weekend, so that was nice. So that's gone and he didn't want the power pack. So, uh, next up is Dragon Ball Z Kakarot. Uh, this is the new DBZ game. It's like an action RPG. I have not played it yet. It's still sealed here, but I do want to play it. I'm hearing it's mediocre. I feel like all Dragon Ball Z games are mediocre now though. So I'm not sure how this is going to turn out. I hope it's very good. I hope it's really, really, really good. Uh, keeping my expectations in check though. And then lastly, I picked up three games. These are all, uh, so, this is kind of funny. So I kickstarted a game uh, called Candelabra Estocero. Uh, K3, it's Kevbot, but K3V. So Kevbot, uh, Sly Dog Studios. And it's like a weird first-person dungeon-crawling NES game that somebody made. Well, I'm a sucker for like homemade NES games, but also uh, I like getting them and kickstarted getting them complete in box. So I did that. And then when I, I kickstarted at the level where I got all three of the games. So I got Candelabra, The Rise of Amandus, which is a like a 2D side-scrolling platformer. Then I got Candelabra, The Mad Wizard, which is also like a different kind of 2D platformer. And then I got the Estacero, which was the like first-person dungeon crawler. So I got all three of those in a Kickstarter three-pack uh, for supporting. Got a t-shirt and got a poster. Um, you know, are these games very good? I mean, not really, not in particular, but I do love that someone's trying and I love supporting someone's small project. I'd rather do this than kickstart like a Shenmue three again, since I already did Shenmue three, but I'd rather do something like this. It just seems to make more sense to me to do it this way, but, um, yep. So that was it. That's my pick up pile of the week. It's pretty, pretty lame this week. So 
Um, thank you, everybody, as always, for listening and watching. I am hoping to record another episode of Metal Gear Salad. Episode 2 should be being recorded Thursday. Me and Josh should be back for that. Um, hopefully a little more regular on that now that uh, the holiday season's over. I probably shouldn't have started it before the holidays, but uh, we're going to get on that. That should be really fun. We're getting into Metal Gear 2 Solid Snake, so that's the uh, unreleased in the United States version until we got it on the PS2 collection of Metal Gear Solid 3 Subsistence. Um <clears throat> substance, excuse me, Melgar Solid 3 Substance, because they all have wacky names. So, uh, but again, with that being said, I so appreciate it. Follow me on Twitter at GameTradeGreg, or you can, of course, subscribe on YouTube, youtube.com slash droprate, twitch.tv slash the droprate. Uh, come follow us on Twitch. You can Prime sub if you want. If you got an Amazon Prime account, you get a free Prime sub. Give it to us. We'll take it. Uh, we'll use it to upgrade all the stuff in our studio. And then, of course, uh, you can follow the droprate on Twitter as well. But follow me, and, uh, and, and you'll find... Uh, glory in all things. <laughs> so I don't know. What, I don't know where that came from. All right. I love you all. I appreciate y'all. Uh, appreciate you all. Have a great day. We'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Bye bye. <laughs>